Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time for Mortgage Matters. Hey y'all, welcome to Mortgage Matters. It's a cool, calm, collected Saturday morning. Can't believe it's already the middle of October. It's actually even November, which You're is even kidding. more amazing. I know. <laughs> I was just making sure you were paying attention. <clears throat> Funny thing is, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. It's a week and a half. Isn't that amazing? It. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. I think the older I get, the faster time just seems to pass by. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when you're a kid, you look forward to, like, your Christmas break and then spring break and then having, like, a summer off. But yeah. when you're a grown-up, the first just comes awfully fast, and so you're yeah. just dodging the first every month, I and think. You're looking forward to birthdays, but somehow after 21, it's like, eh. No. <laughs> I, still, I still like my birthday. I'm not afraid of getting older. I'm looking forward to being 30. 30? <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Again. <laughs> For a lot of times in a row. Well, good morning, Dan. I felt a little rushed. I, like, I, just, yeah, really. I barely got plugged in right here right as we started on time. Funny thing is, is I... Uh, I got up plenty early, you know, I was getting all my notes ready. Usually I have time to get this stuff together on a Friday, but yesterday was just a crazy day. Why is that? Just really busy with loans, um, That's good. which I'm thankful for. <laughs> good. Very thankful for. It could always be the other way. It's great to have business. and um, But yeah, so it's just a, it was a big day. In fact, yesterday I, I had grand dreams of maybe slipping out like an hour early or something, and I didn't get out of my chair until after six. But uh, it's a good problem to have for sure. So there's, uh, you know, what's going on this week? It's kind of a quiet week. It was a short week. Short week. So, but yeah, kind of quiet. Not a whole lot of data. Not a lot happening. You know, last week when we sat Twitter, down... Twitter, did you buy some Twitter? I heard Twitter's going to just uh, chase Facebook into the the depths. Yeah, I tweeted about it. You did? Yeah, totally. Really? <laughs> no. I don't even tweet. <laughs> you got on Facebook and tweeted yeah, about it. Yeah, I got on Facebook <laughs> and I tweeted about it. Now, I, I thought about doing uh, Twitter because I've been watching The Voice, you know, and they got, like, Twitter opportunities. You can, like... Oh, they're everywhere. Everything has a hashtag or a... Or the at sign now. And it could very well be that whole hashtag thing that has me hating Twitter, honestly. I'm tired of the hashtag. I, I've even heard people in normal conversation now hashtagging things they say. <laughs> very frustrating to me. Makes me feel old and out of touch. But uh, yeah, so what? Tw uh, Twitter, Twitter did their IPO. Is that the deal? Yeah, they IPO'd, they like doubled in price. Maybe we should have bought some Twitter. Nah, it's just a fad. It's hard for me to see the real value in that stuff. Like I, I still don't fully understand why Facebook is worth so much money. 
I mean, I get that there's advertising and stuff, but I don't respond to any of those ads. It's hard for me to imagine people do. People must, though. I mean, they have revenue. Yeah. They're... I know people that made a ton of money on pop-up ads. You know? I, I, I don't ever respond to them. If anything... See, it's not whether you respond or not. It's whether it the companies keep buying them. Sure. The, right. the companies keep buying the ads. Right. Um, they must me, be seeing some kind of like a, my consumer protest part of me sees a pop up and I'm like, I don't do business with the company that just wants to just bother me like that. Unsolicited, just bother me, especially those real tricky ones that you can't even seem to close without, you know, are you sure? And then no is yes. And then all of a sudden you have a problem that kind of, <laughs> I don't do business like that. So, but yeah, the companies buy them. So there you go. So last week when we were doing the show, it was um, I remember saying that rates kind of kind of took a little pop on Friday. Um, really, as a response to just a a pretty crazy good jobs report. Um, you shared the the bit about Merrill Lynch saying that um, they were really going to just dismiss the numbers as it was just um, going to be some kind of a misrepresentation because it was going to be unusually bad and just no one was going to care but then then it came out really good so let's pay attention yeah all of a sudden (laughs) uh, it shattered expectations um and so we the the market has been kind of dealing with that and then um this week it did it got a little bit better which is for me good news um but the funny thing is is there wasn't a whole lot of data this week um not a lot of market moving stuff. If anything, it seemed like uh, we saw GDP numbers and expectations and employment numbers from economies around the world that kind of suggest things aren't that strong. Um, maybe not looking that good, which curtails a little bit of the growth hopes for the U.S. And, and, and maybe that's why we saw a little bit of improvement um, in the interest rate market this week. Which for me is welcome. I always like to see rates um, staying at this good low level. Well, there was also some news about the the new Fed chief, Janet Yellen, right. and some statements she made that expressed her dovishness towards the um, current Fed policy. Dovishness. Yeah. You're either a, what is the other one? I'm free. There's all these terms that I'm picking up from... Watching too much CNBC, <laughs> they they latch onto these terms for a, a month or so at a time. Okay, well, I don't, I'm not totally plugged into them, but when you say dovish, I hear like a a passive little nonviolent bird. Yeah, that, I think it's dovish versus hawkish. Yeah, I think is the the so um, the general sentiment out of um, the soon to be Fed Chair Yellen is that economy is not quite as powerful or strong as I think really what we were talking, we were hoping. So first quarter of this year and second quarter of this year, there was all this great optimism about how we would be doing so good by the end of the year, we would be ready to start removing stimulus and everything just really staying on track. All of that is certainly waned. And now we're at this point of um, it's fragile again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with the uncertainty, especially in the political arena. There's that uncertainty with respect to budget. And now we've got health care, you know, which plays into budget. 
and oh, just, is there something going on in healthcare? <laughs> and just, you know, I think consumers' confidence in general, I, th I think that these issues play into that. And there's a lot of uncertainty, and that's that's leading to this conclusion that the economy's improved, it's continuing to improve, it's going to be better, but is right now the right time to make a move? No one wants to move too early. Janet Yellen this week says that she believes that supporting the recovery today is the surest path to returning to a more normal approach to monetary policy. Um, so her statements lead a lot of the speculators slash traders, um, you know, believing that we're going to be in this current $85 billion, you know, no taper situation for the foreseeable Probably a, future. a while to come. Yeah, in my fact, prediction's still March. You think so? Yeah. I, I'm... I, I think get us out of the slow times. I think we're going to have hopefully a decent, above-average retail Christmas season and holiday season. And then springtime, we've got the new Fed chief in. I get a lot of people trying to pin me down on, on when I think that the taper is really going to officially begin. And um, I don't think we're going to see it in the first or second quarter of next year. Wow. Um, for a few different reasons. Number one, I mean, and, and GDP was respectable this quarter. In fact, many thought it would be um, – less than it than it turned out to be so that's a good thing um we we have this the year end coming and it, end of quarter end of year is always kind of a, a tricky little thing to to maneuver um i do think a lot of it's going to fall on what the consumer spending and retail sales numbers are i just can't really imagine that we're going to find so much um strength here through this this winter season to warrant what they've defined as sustained um, growth in the economy. I, I think it's going to take longer for them to say truly that it's sustained. And if anything, there was a real lesson learned in um, May and June when they started talking about tapering in September. And then the taper, you know, ultimately, I think, is what slowed everything slowed a lot anyway um so additionally i feel like we're already kind of being prepped for um yellen to not be on the the front of coming in to to yank that rug of stimulus out if anything i feel like we're, we're being tempered that it's her goal um, and the goal of the feds to leave it in place for longer. And I, I think that they do want to just see us kind of normalize at this, the new rates in the fours for a little while before it, it rolls the rest of the way. I just don't, I don't see it. I don't, I don't feel what's different or better today than what was different or better in May when this kind of started. And I'm not convinced that we're going to be in a much better position where people will recognize this just after, you know, February or March. I just don't, I don't see it coming. We'll see. Yeah. The, um, the reality is we got to figure out how to stop spending all the money. See, and I think that's, that's the other side of the argument right. is, you know, whether or not we're, when is the right time? Right. When is, when are we ready? 
Yeah. Is there a metric? Is there? I mean, yeah, we've heard the six and a half percent unemployment number as being a well, not a trigger, a threshold. And unemployment went up last month, um, and there was what eight hundred and thirty-seven thousand household jobs or something that were that were lost, and so. For months prior, the unemployment rate has been falling for really no other reason than a lack of participation or uh, people being excluded from the metric, right? Now we see that uh, we actually created a pretty decent amount of jobs um, in the month of October. And likewise, they revised September up by 60,000 jobs. Um, but the unemployment rate slid up a little bit now it's for the first time in a while i would i think five months the first time that it had gone up um it still is the lowest that it's been in five years right so i i do think that there's still progress to be made there and um but yeah when are we going to begin the taper is going to be the conversation that that at least folks like us in the mortgage market just hang on well, I think at some point the noise from the crowd that says, hey, we're spending too much money is going to get louder and louder to the point that they're louder than the people who are saying the we economy is not strong enough yet. Yeah. Well, and so w if we isolate this stimulus just into what it's doing into the mortgage rate market, mortgage rates are still really low. And in fact, a lot of these numbers are still pretty good. Uh, there still seems to be a lot of strength in the housing market. Um, I brought in a couple things today to share. Barclays, remember Barclays? They, they released a third quarter regional housing update and they're calling for 11% um, increase in home values in 2013. Um, and they're, we're already up on their metrics 7.6% year to date. Um, and so they're looking for continued appreciation in the housing market, calling for 7% in 2014. When I first saw that, I was like, dang, well, that's less than 13. It's slowing down. Um, then I had to remind myself that even 7% is really an unsustainable level of appreciation year over year. Uh, the, the smartest real estate guys around will tell you that normal, and it's so hard to even know what normal is, but normal should be between three and 5%. And that's even still pretty impressive. I mean, that's a, that's a good rate of return, um, for something that's such a basic necessity for all of us. But so these guys see continued strength in the home market. And, um, I got a couple new purchase loans this week and a, a handful of people out shopping, um, stuff's still selling pretty quick. It's, it's actually was encouraging. Um, a house in our neighborhood, in fact, came on the market and they did a couple open houses and had really good interest and it already went into escrow just after a few days. So that to me is still a really hot market. I think in that, you know, air quotes, normal market, Things are supposed to sit around for like, you know, 30 to 45 days on the market is a fast marketing time. We're still seeing locally market times of a week. You know, if things are priced right, there's still a high level of interest in owning real estate. What's incredible to me is that our market, by comparison to many other California markets, is much cooler, much yeah. Much more buyer friendly where the buyer actually has a little bit of time to think and make a decision. We're working with a couple of 
out-of-town buyers um, currently. I can think of one in San Jose area and one in the Sacramento area. And the environment is so much more competitive in both markets. It's it's the, hey, offers are being accepted up until 2 p.m. on this day. Put in your highest and best. And it's that overbid, competitive situation in some of these bigger metro areas still. And it's it's incredible that that pace um, is still continuing and that we're, even though, like you're describing, we're in a you know, less than two week marketing time frame and low inventories that, yeah, that we, you know, we're still kind of cool compared to some of these other cities. Right. The, um, the, I think it's, it's actually really interesting. I was yesterday, I was talking to a guy and we were talking about one of the recent economic forecasts, the, um, EVC. I forget. Is that the right acronym? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they have one coming up. uh, So we're talking about San Luis Obispo. And, you know, there's always this whenever you start talking about housing or the economy or whatever, there's all it always turns to this. Oh, well, San Luis is kind of insulated. And one of one of the things is that in terms of the recovery, a lot of a, a lot of jobs here are city, county, state federal government jobs, right? I mean, we've been down the whole list before. The reality is there's a lot of them. And um, those those guys are just getting back to normal. Um, it takes a little bit longer for them to get back those furlough days or get their uh, pay increases or cost of living increases. So they, they don't suffer as quickly with the general economy right with like private enterprise they don't go down as quick so it insulates a little bit on the fall or the slide into a recession but at the same time they're a little bit slower to come back out and i kind of wondered if if that was a, a a real part of what's happening here in san Luis right now the other thing that's kind of fascinating is we were looking at some of the numbers in terms of the median home value versus the median income. And proportionally here, the median income is less than like the normal ratio of the median home value. In other words, the people that are working here today are at a at a, an affordability disadvantage to what the cost of housing is, which makes it a little bit tricky. To me, it also suggests that there are people here that are um, have a lot of equity or that are retired that aren't necessarily working, but because it's so desirable, it makes housing uh, more uh, more expensive. You know, just because it's kind of paradise, and so. Um, For those reasons, I think, yeah, like we look and we said, well, slow is right now. It's a little bit freer than some of those other places in the metropolis right now. um, Look around cities around California or even the rest of the country. It's like going gangbusters fast. There's still a whole lot of activity. And I think it's because it's still um, pretty affordable. And the jobs market is also um, has decent steam. So it's. It's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, altogether, my point is, from what I can tell locally, real estate's humming along and doing just fine in spite of these higher rates. So if that's the case everywhere and we're kind of lagging behind in that, then maybe there is more of an argument for taper sooner, you know, for, for what's happening in the rest of the country.
I think it's time to take the first commercial break of the show. We've got some wonderful sponsors that help make this show possible, so we hope you'll listen to their messages they're offering up here during the commercial break. We are going to be welcoming in a guest, right? I, I you know, I was just going to reach out to Wes. It is his day to be on, though. We're Wes. expecting a guest. Yeah. We'll see if he shows. Um, either way, we're going to have another hour and a half of great talk radio coming your way. Stick around, and we'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. When it comes to your mortgage, do you pay points or do you take the no-cost loan? Don't let your loan officer or banker choose for you. At Central Coast Lending, we help you decide. Numbers don't lie. We teach you to do the math so you can cut through the salesmanship and get the best loan for you. Because we can't be beat, we'll even teach you how to shop and compare other offers. We don't charge upfront fees, and we value every client. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Thanks so much for being with us. We are joined by the talented Wes Burke. 
He always dresses up the show. It's fantastic to have you here, Wes. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. Is it your birthday today? It's Do we not have this? My... I mean, I'm hearing this music. There's got to be something. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm uh, so excited to have my dad visiting from New Mexico, and today is his birthday. And you ran out and ditched him on his birthday to come be with us. You know, that's just how important you guys are to me. All right. Well, thanks. Well, special happy birthday to uh, Mr. Burke. Yeah, you know, I I'm really excited to be able to celebrate his birthday with him here and have him here in person. He's a tremendous man. I couldn't be more in love with my father. He's an amazing example as a businessman, as a person. He's one of the most kind-hearted people that I've ever known, highly intelligent, incredibly successful as a businessman, and he's enjoying retirement, a well-deserved retirement, and I'm just thrilled thrilled and to have him have him around. Your dad was in real estate, right? He was. He he his career was not in real estate, but once uh, he kind of got me raised and and out the door, he got Which in. Which couldn't have been easy, by the way. No, no, I, I'm. I promise you, I tested his his <laughs> perseverance for sure. But when he got me out the door, he um he moved to New Mexico. We were in Texas at that time, and he got into real estate. Um, you know, I think kind of as as something to do prior to retirement, and he really fell in love with it. And through his engagement in the industry, I became interested in it. And through some of um, his experiences and expertise, one thing led to another, and I ended up doing an internship in, in Colorado and loved it. So I moved out to New Mexico, and my father was my first real estate broker. Sweet. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. It was a great experience. He taught me a lot, and um, I've, I've done nothing in my adult life other than real estate. Wow. Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Real estate is a pretty epic profession when you get right down to it. There's a lot. It's a lot of fun. Um, in fact, if I were ever going to do anything else, I think I might like to do real estate. Yeah, you know, I've I've enjoyed it. It's it's not easy. People think it's easy money, and it's it's anything but that. Oh come on, it's so easy. You just put <laughs> <laughs> you just put people in your car and you go show them places they love, and then they buy it. Yeah, that's yeah. generally how it goes down. Come on. And there's never any um, hurdles or road bumps <laughs> in an escrow process either. Yeah. I um, I was told this week by somebody uh, that, I mean, sometimes people really go through the ringer in a loan transaction. Like, And when I say really go through the ringer, the kind where I'm like, it's just getting to the point where I just feel like I'm just kicking you when you're down when I call you to tell you what's next. This guy wasn't to that point. It was pretty normal. Hey, man, we need some bank statements. All right, your bank statement's got a bunch of crazy deposits on them that are like, you know, $10,000, $60,000, $12,000, $42,000. We're going to have to source those. And I got this whole rash, and I've been extending credit for 15 years, and I've never once had, rah, 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 rah. and I go, oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I feel like I've been extending credit for 15 years, too, and it's like a big deal. In fact, when you're spending quarter or half or three quarters or a million dollars on something, um, better yet, somebody's loaning to you to spend it, they're probably going to want to ask some questions. And it just uh, it sort of reminded me that people are not used to um, – 
if you haven't done it in a while or not used to how difficult it is, there are a lot of things that come up even in buying real estate. Yeah, and it's it's changed a lot over the years. I'm currently I've got a buyer that um, is actually a licensed California real estate broker, and um, has been has been one long enough that they don't even have to do the continuing ad anymore. They're just kind of automatically granted a, a oh. lifetime uh, broker license. So clearly they've got a tremendous amount of experience, but this is the first house that they've purchased in 30 years. And they are stunned, shocked at the changes. Just uh, the paperwork alone is has completely overwhelmed them, both for the loan, for the transaction. And in fact, on my way into the radio show this morning, I had a conversation with them trying to get them through the escrow packet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a very complicated process. It's a it's a very emotional process. Totally. Yeah. When uh when I go through the loan disclosure process with somebody, depending on what kind of loan you're doing, I'm going to say it's an average of 35 pages. Not all of them are super critical. Some are boilerplate. Um, some you really have to really slow down and make sure you completely understand. Um, I usually end up telling people at some point they start going, man, why would you need that? Why do you need this? That's crazy. Well, you know, why are they asking for this? They go, you know, I think at some point it boils down to um, just pure liability. So I think most of these forms we are using is because somebody sued somebody, whether the outcome was successful or not, but it, it warrants another new piece of paper in there. And, and it's happened now, yeah, through all of the paperwork from the contracts, the escrow paperwork, the loan stuff. It, it's pretty overwhelming. There's a lot of stuff to do, lots to sign, lots to understand, lots to worry about. Yeah, it's true, and not the least of which uh, touches on the things that you guys were talking about this morning, which is basically what, what you guys do in here every week and what, what I participate in once a month with you is trying to, f to figure out and digest the data such that you can predict where the market's going so that you can inform your decisions about when to purchase and how much you can afford uh, based on the general direction of not only the economy but of the real estate market specifically. And this is an interesting time in terms of all that data, and you guys were dancing around the issue, but what I'm getting at is that it's, it's really hard to know where we're at right now. We've come through a period that's been – really aggressive in terms of market appreciation and market activity. But all of the news around the periphery, um, the national news especially, is, is starting to talk about a real estate slowdown. And it's, uh, it's tough to know for us what that's going to mean and if it's going to, be, if it's going to come to fruition or not and what the impact will be. So I'd like to talk about that a little bit with you guys. I was really hoping you would. <clears throat> Okay, so I've, I've seen this too. There's even headlines this week talking about flat home sales month over month. So, you know, there's that, that kind of talk going on in the media. But is that slowdown? It seems like the slowdown is due to lack of inventory, not lack of interest. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's one of the elements that we're trying to digest and, and figure, figure out what, you know, what the real impact is. I'm looking at a chart right here from NAR, and it is um, historic levels of pending home sales. And really since about last December, we've been on a pretty steep incline in terms of the number of pending sales. I mean, there was you know, a, a little bit of flatness between, say, January and March, but 
man, after March, all the way through June, July, uh, the line is almost straight up. But since then, um, there's been a flattening of the curve. And when you get to the very end of it, um, late August or late July, August to September, that line is dramatically dropping. And we expect to see some of that seasonally. When you go back and look at the charts, we always have fewer transactions, fewer pending homes this time of year. So what the challenge becomes is to try to determine how much of what we're seeing is attributable to seasonality and how much of it is actually a slowdown in, in home sales. And then, like you alluded to, Dan, then we start trying to figure out, well, what are the, what are the causes? Is it, is it a lack of buyer interest? Is it the interest rate increases are forcing people out of the market? Or is it simply that there's not enough homes to buy? Well, I'm looking over your shoulder here at the same graph, and I see that the late spring, early summer, the year prior, same exact thing, almost a straight up you know, line on this chart followed by a flattening and then uh, a valley approaching wintertime. Yeah, it's it, true. But... Obviously not as dramatic as what we're seeing in this year. Um, but somewhere in the past 18 months, the message got out to people that, hey, the bottom hit and time is now. And so that's that's why I think we're seeing more dramatic increases and decreases in this most recent year. The thing that alarms me, like, for instance, the the cover article for the New Times this week has an article about about housing, about. Did I just lose me? No, you're good. OK, um, has an article about housing and and where it's all gone, that it's gone. There's not a lot of inventory out there. And another um, local broker threw out a few numbers in San Luis Obispo. There are just 75 houses and 28 condos available to buy in the entire city. Yeah, and that's that's a problem. You know, San Luis Obispo still has under two months of, of inventory, San Luis Obispo proper, and that's that's not a, a healthy balance. I mean, that's... And building activities picked up, but we're not starting to really see those units hit the market. I have a half a dozen people here that are pre-qualified that own homes in San Luis Obispo, but they're wanting to um, sell and buy, but they're afraid to sell because they can't see what they're going to buy and they are watching for months on end going i'm just waiting for a window where there's some options and it seems as soon as things come on the market they get snatched right back up and these people don't want to sell their home to have to move into storage and then wait for uh you know live in a rental and wait for some opportunity you know so how so much of that is preventing so really here in slow how much of the lack of options is sort of creating a lack of options you know what i'm saying well it's it's certainly a factor jason we're seeing more and more transactions where a listing is contingent upon the seller finding a replacement property and that's very unusual and it's a challenge too it creates a lot of challenges for that particular buyer now buyers are willing to engage because there's a lack of inventory and they don't have a lot of choices so they're they're making concessions that they might not make in a normal market but it's challenging because if that if the if if the buyer engages in that transaction and and they have to wait for the seller to go find a replacement property and there's not one available in a short amount of time there are consequences for that buyer that you guys know all too well, things like um, rate locks. Yeah, you can't really do an indefinite rate lock term. You have to select a period to move on, 
And I think overall the consensus is still that month over month, quarter over quarter, and year over year, interest rates are expected to go up. So getting in on it while it's here is still good good call. And yeah, so that's tricky. If you don't know when you're going to be able to close, it's nice to be accommodating, but you can suffer some damages for doing so. You can. And the, the other thing that, that we're seeing more of is these domino um, transactions where it's not just the purchase and sell of two homes, like one seller selling and buying another with a contingency in there, but we're seeing them with three or four transactions backed up against one another. We closed one this week that was four. And let me just tell you how fun four is because we have like, this is basically a rear ender on the freeway, um, like a four car pileup. I have like a, a listing agent calling a selling agent, calling a listing agent, calling a selling agent, calling a listing agent, calling a seller's agent, calling the final listing agent, selling agent and escrow officer all on me saying I'm first. So how soon can you make this thing fun? And escrow was actually closed in this case a week and a half before schedule because it could everyone could uh, accommodate that. But even closing early, there's so many people that know they all just they know that if one hiccup happens anywhere in this line, the the tail end of it just gets totally thwarted. So I was happy to hand the baton off on the part that I did and just be done hearing from all of those people. Uh, but yeah, that that seems like it's becoming more of the norm, and I don't love that. It's it's enough to manage a couple of realtors, some borrowers, um, an escrow agent, an underwriter, account manager, all these people. You you throw on a second home in there, and it's harder exponentially. Well, yeah, and then you talk about all of these people that actually have to realize moves as a result of all of this and there's movers and moving trucks and Shutting furniture off utilities and, utilities, and turning yeah. them on and getting kids in schools and all this. Yeah, it's hard. There's yeah. a lot of moving parts. Oh no, no. You said earlier, real estate's easy. Yeah. Just put them in your car and drive them around. <laughs> is this activity, is this happening all over the County or is this something specific to San Luis Obispo city? Oh no, we're seeing it all over the County. And in fact, I think it's occurring all over the state. Yeah. Well, you are going to a lot of these like regional conferences and stuff. So you're getting a, a good glimpse of what it looks like in other places. Everything I hear is that if anything, it's a little bit easier in our county than it happens to be in other parts around the state. Well, it really is. I just uh, a couple of weeks ago was in San Francisco with some brokerages up there that we have a, a network relationship with. And man, I can tell you in the Bay Area, Lake Tahoe, even Monterey, county inventory is is worse than it is in san luis proper and it's it's worth saying to try to keep this with the local focus san luis obispo the inventory levels are uh, not demonstrative not demonstrative of what's going on around the county there are there are places around the county that have significantly more inventory four to six months which is actually kind of getting approaching a normal market and there are market segments within San Luis Obispo, even San Luis Obispo proper, that still have eight, nine, 10, 11 months of inventory. When you get over a million dollars, the inventory levels are very different than they are in the entry and mid, mid levels. Huh. Yeah, so the, what we're trying to do is, is to figure out how all of this 
national news is going to play into the future and how it will translate for us here in California and more specifically on the Central Coast. And that's where it gets to be a real guessing game because I've, I've become relatively convinced that we're going to see some slowdown in the real estate market in 2014 on a national level. We're not really? going to see the number of transactions, and we're not going to see the, um, when you the say, appreciation. Yeah, so less transactions and less appreciation. Okay, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, neither of those are going into the negative. No, I, I don't believe – I don't believe so. There may be – I think it's possible that 2014 will have fewer transactions than 2013. Um, but but that, the home value, I think, is going to continue to increase in spite of that. I agree with you. I just don't think it's going to be in line with what we're going to end up seeing for 2013. In, in San Luis Obispo County, we're going to probably see double-digit appreciation for 2013. We're, we're thinking it's going to end up around 10 or 11% for the county. And I think next year we're likely to see something more in the three to six range, hmm. which right. actually, you know, I've come in here for four or five years now um, begging to have a normal real estate market. Right. And I think that's what we're describing. And normal for many different reasons. Before, like when we first began this endeavor, normal we wanted to be – um, to stop the free fall of real estate and to end all of this, the crazy foreclosures and, you know, I'll just it was so radically different. And we went from that, we turned on a dime into like a feeding frenzy over houses and just how wild the the transition was from one to the other. I mean, you could almost mark the day. Yeah, we quite, I mean, we literally skipped any normalcy in the market and we went from a complete buyer's market to a complete seller's market overnight with all of the same problems just on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, and you know, I, as shocking as that was, and I remember that we, when we were hoping for the turnaround in the market, we were hoping for anything different than what we had, which was declining real estate values with a lack of interest and continuing foreclosure problems. And we wanted anything but that. In retrospect, it's not terribly surprising to me that once confidence was restored in real estate that it went gangbusters. I mean, you had so many years of people that wanted in, but um, you know, I think people still always wanted to own real estate. The idea of owning real estate is an amazing thing, uh, but few people want to buy something they know is going to be worth 10% less next year or 20% next year. And um, so, so many people were just like kind of poised up and ready to go. And then once that sort of finally hit bottom, it just so happened that you could get a 30-year fix for 3%. So what do you expect is going to happen? It was like we opened the doors to the Coliseum and said your millions are on the floor in there. Have at it. And and we really expected people to walk? You well, know. I mean, clearly the, the combination of the depreciate, depreciated values with the low interest rates, it did something that I'm not sure anybody really sufficiently predicted, which was it opened – the door of possibility to a whole new class of buyers, buyers that had not been ever able to to consider a purchase before. And over that three, four, five-year period where nobody wanted to buy anything, 
they moved um, their their lives moved into a position where it made sense to start thinking about buying a house, and all of a sudden the equation was such that they could do so. And in man, many cases, the mortgage was equal to the rent. And they jumped in in spades. Yeah. And I know I know all the the listeners are out there thinking, oh, you poor real estate agents and brokers coming off a two-year run of one of the hottest markets in <laughs> in history, right? But um, it's 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 an interesting time in this in this industry for sure. It seems like, and maybe this is just just my experience that isn't shared by anyone else, but in the last couple of weeks, I've seen an influx of twenty-something-year-olds saying, "I got to get pre-qualified to buy a house." Totally. Twenty and thirty-year-olds. Like every single 20 and 30 year old I know is getting pre-qualified to buy a home. And I don't know if it's something that, you know, I don't know why this this push, if they're being, you know, encouraged by their parents, if if they're, you know, feeling like this is their last opportunity because of, you know, historical affordability in this area and that well, kind of thing. I don't know what's going on, but that's just happens to be the the trend that I'm seeing of late. One of the interesting things about that category of people, Dan, is that they're so different than even that group of people was 10 years ago. They're completely empowered with information. Um, 10 years ago, those people would go to real estate professionals and say, hey, you know, what is going on in the real estate market? And, and we'd start from square one with an education about the entire process as well as um, – data and market data information and and it was really our responsibility as industry participants to educate them and bring them up to speed now the internet has empowered them and they know so much about the process about the market and i think what's happening is a lot of those people are online and they realize that interest rates are not going to stay low and it's going to affect their purchase power and I think that that has dri is dri driving some of this um, this interest into the market. Well, and and I think at the same time too, because these people can see this stuff on the internet, they're beginning to understand the qualification standards and are surprised, almost like shocked to learn that wait, I I can get in on this. I don't have to be like a I don't have to be my dad. You know, as they don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars socked away and they're they're coming in um looking at the programs that exist and and figuring out that it'll work for them that being said dan a lot of these young people that i see walking in got a lot of they have money. money i know and what's what's what i've seen that's really fascinating to me and and i'm encouraged by it is that these folks these kids don't necessarily make enormous annual incomes but they're really good savers yeah and, and i don't i you know i haven't seen it from when they started at the job till how they got here the the numbers i'm seeing today but somewhere along the line they socked away 50 grand or 60 grand and now they can make a 10 or 20 percent down payment on a house and it's it's awesome to see that there's this group of young people that are you know saving their resources and and putting them away for something that that's a good investment yeah. when well and i think it's part of it's almost like being a depression era kid these guys have seen seven years now of tough kind labor of tough, tough labor, labor market have to save have to be smart have to budget well i'm 35 years old now 
when I was 18 years old, I got my first credit card. I think I was like 18 years old and a day when it came in the mail. Okay. And that didn't seem to stop. You got offers of this and offers of that from every company, you know, Mervyn's, any company they could get you a credit card to try to come in and get you to like make some poor financial decisions and they were ready to finance them. And I don't think that's really the case today. It's a lot harder to get a credit card. You don't see kids walking in with credit cards that have $20,000 worth of available credit like you did 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So I think because of that retraction in the credit market, a lot of these kids, it was um, a little bit harder for them to get credit. And so consequently, they saved more and had to be in a different spirit of like coming out of the gate and yeah, it's pretty eye-opening to me when I see some, you know, some kid that's 25 years old walks in with $80,000 in the bank and you go, "Dude, where'd you get 80 grand? Been socking it away, man. Yep. Just saving it up every month." Wow, good for you. That's epic. Those are the kind of people that we want to see buying houses. So, that that has been really eye-opening. Um very interesting to me. Uh, also have seen um in recent months young people that have stayed at home longer um, and then instead of being out paying $2,000 a month in rent or whatever, have been socking away 2500 bucks a month into the savings account and that now they're ready to buy their own house and get out. And that's that's been encouraging too. The other thing that's kind of unique about this younger buyer is that they're still comfortable sharing their three-bedroom house with three, four of their friends and charging them room rents. And so they can buy a $500,000 house, put a 10% down payment on it, and their out-of-pocket monthlies, like, if they play their cards right, you know, 500 bucks. Yep. I own this house. I pay 500 bucks a month to live here. I charge my friends. You know, we all still kind of do our normal young kid thing, but I own a home. Yeah. You know, and you're right, Dan, and it's surprising to me how many homes that I've personally been involved with selling this last year where that exact thing is going is going on. You know, these kids are buying these houses, and, and one of the things they're looking for is somewhere uh, on site, either in the house or a granny unit that they can – put their friends and and create a little rental income yeah and that's that's new and different i mean used to the the step to buy a, uh, your house your first house was really when you separated from that shared living environment mm -hmm. and it's interesting to see these kids jump in and well i don't know if you i i catch some there's a show on hgtv um i, I want to say it's called income property it may be something different but it's a guy and a lot of these shows are based up in the northeast for whatever reason um, and there's this guy who comes in and helps people figure out how to convert their basement into an income-producing unit to help offset their mortgage payment and make a, a home that's that would be typically outside of their affordability level something that they actually can't afford because they're getting the supplemental income. And it's it's kind of interesting to see that actually play out here locally in kind of a different way. But Yeah, it's, it's different in that the, obviously you guys know better than anybody, but the these buyers, they're not able to use that um, speculative income to qualify for the loan. Right. But these people are more sensitive to their own ability to afford than they were certainly 
10 years ago before the, the bubble. Back then, everybody thought, well, well, I'll just find a way to make it work. Now these kids that can actually afford it without the rental income, yet they're still... They're staying resourceful yeah. with, with this. And, and it kind of gives you a little peek into how they saved that 50, 60, 80 grand in the first place. Right. I, I was reading an article just this week about the, um, the, the new Generation Y as homebuyers and why it is that... Um, it's a really great segment to target. First of all, Wes, you guys have some, um, I'm, I feel like this is going out on a limb here. I don't mean to sound like they're inexperienced, but you have a few young real estate agents on your staff. In fact, they surprise me. It always really surprises me for some reason when like a college grad decides that just I'm going into real estate, dude. It's like, well, you don't really want to like get a job. Do you want to <laughs> go throw the dice at being self-employed and live on commission? Um, so these are high caliber people that you have. And I think one of the brilliance is, is that they're, they attract these other Gen Yers into feeling comfortable with them. Right. Um, so some things about the Gen Y though, is they're saying that, um, first of all, being unmarried doesn't, um, like so old school values said there was an order graduate from high school go to college or get a good job um, get married buy a house have children walk these things out in this step this is the recipe today some of these folks are which there's a hundred million of them marriage isn't a prerequisite for buying real estate anymore in fact they're willing to buy it with their boyfriend or girlfriend or um, college buddy or whatever. And so um, it sort of throws a little bit of a mix in the whole way that they, they go looking for stuff. And, you know, this article kind of gets more into talking about what it's like in the metropolis, how the Gen Wires aren't interested in having big, lavish homes that are like on the outskirts of town. They're looking for like really functional tight places that are right in where they're working and, you know, in their community and everything. And it's really just interesting to me to see the whole change in demographic. Um, these, these young people have different needs and ideas than I think what historically has been the case. And that's probably one of the reasons why these guys are getting out and, and swinging it. So, Hey folks, you're listening to Mortgage Matters. We're joined today by the talented and informative Wes Burke from Patterson Realty. He's got another little run in him, and uh, so do we. So stick around. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. It's 11.05. I'm in the studio here with my buddies, Dan and Wes. These guys are my friends, and I think that's one of the things that makes work fun. Um, oh, dude, I just realized that's part of getting old, too. The, the, <laughs> you forgot what you were going to say? Well, no. <laughs> that's part of it, too. Man. <laughs> no, like... 
we've been through this period of years where you know people kind of come and go out of your life and those that remain generally have that this a lot of value the same things as you do and have that like high work ethic and all this kind of thing so you guys are those guys for me i, I feel i think i just hit me that i'm old now oh, jim i think the beatles music there put jason in a sentimental mood oh was that the beatles i never that was the beatles oh, yes. really yeah. i never really heard the beatles before <laughs> Um, hey, you it, might have, you know, they're a little real bad. quick. Before, yeah, they, yeah, they had that um, that lead singer um, Yoko Ono, right? Yeah. Well, all right. <laughs> um, Wes is just so disappointed in me. Um, some during the first segment here, we were talking about uh, Twitter because um, Dan's a tweeter and. Um, so, Wes, here's a piece of trivia for you. A caller did call in and asked if we would give an explanation of what a hashtag is. So, um, would you mind? <laughs> I, I think... Um, we'll ask the oldest well, guy in the yeah, room. I think you're mocking my age here. Um, I don't know how to use it, but I believe it's the pound sign. You know, what us old yeah. schoolers called the pound sign. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how to use it, but I think I know what it looks like. It's, yeah, when, it's that's perfect. I, I honestly don't know when you when you hear this, you know, hashtag something. I, I have so I, no idea. I had to ask works. this question. Hashtag hang on a minute. I had to ask this question <laughs> to, like, figure it out finally because I'm not a, a tweeter. Um, to my understanding, people use a hashtag and then they spell out one word or a sequence of words with no spaces. And the idea is that the hashtag sort of puts it into a directory of that thing. So if you did like hashtag Christmas, everybody that did hashtag Christmas, their things would all fall under a Christmas category. And if you were interested in Christmas, you could go look up Christmas and you would find everything that was associated with the hashtag Christmas symbol. So it's become way overused. Far too many people are doing it, and there must just be an infinite amount of hashtag things because I have friends on Facebook that put on things like hashtag I had bacon and eggs for breakfast, and yeah. I can't imagine who cares for one thing and for uh, things. Yeah. Here's a picture of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but I I don't understand it either because why can't you just if like you were saying Christmas, why can't you just put in the word Christmas on Twitter? And Who not knows? have the hashtag there. Because then find out everything there is to know about Christmas. Because then it wouldn't be cool. <laughs> we, we need younger people to explain it to yeah, us. I don't I don't get it either. Well listen, here's I've got well, I'm an the idea. youngest person in the room and I just gave a good effort at it. So why don't you just say thanks, Jason, and I'll say hashtag you're welcome. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Jason. <laughs> now I'm not gonna say it. In, in an effort to bring this back to a real estate focus. I'd like to make a, a suggestion, if it's all right with you boys. Yeah, what you got? Um, I w I'd like to read a few quotes um, talking about the direction of the market. And um, we've always talked about the importance of the consumer confidence and what the people on the street really think as an influencer in the real market. So I would love to get some callers to call in and tell us what they think is going on in the real estate market, what their perception is. Um, as a way to inform us maybe of, of what the consumer confidence is here locally. So to bait them, I'm going to read a few things that are, that are created um, about the national real estate picture. We'll give them the phone number too, just, you know, 
We'll it's have a good to, way to get phone calls. We'll have to give it a few times. <laughs> 543-8830. If you listen to this show and you live, um, then you know something about real estate or have some kind of an opinion, <laughs> even if it's in a, a questioning manner. So get ready. 543-8830. Um, we've been trying to convince Wes that people listen to this radio show because he's a paying sponsor. So um, help us here. Help help us help you by getting some phone calls ready. 543-8830. Okay, Wes, you have the floor. Okay, Trulia's chief economist says that asking home prices give us the first look at where home sale prices are headed. They point to a slowdown. After rising rapidly in the first half of 2013, asking prices in two-thirds of the largest metros are cooling. In fact, asking prices are falling, not just rising more slowly, in 11 of the 100 largest metros, the most markets to see price slips in six months. Moody's has recently said that the rapid price gains of last year cannot be sustained and we expect the pace to decline substantially. A slower pace is a positive for housing demand and will keep affordability from eroding further. Stan Humphreys, chief economist for Zillow, says, if home values continued to rise as they have, relatively unchecked, we would almost certainly be headed into another bubble cycle, and nobody wants that. This moderation should help consumers feel more at ease in their decisions to buy and sell and will help keep the market balanced. Lastly, Robert Schiller, Nobel Prize winning economist, says, I define a bubble as a time when people have extravagant expectations and the expectations are driving home price increases. We don't have the mindset of earlier this century. Affordability is still good compared to any time over the last 50 years. There you go. Did the phone ring? Not yet. Oh. That was a lot of words you strung together real quick. <laughs> I, you name-dropped a few names in there. I mean, I'm pretty sure I was tracking with you for the most part. Is it a little too heady for you, Jay? No. I mean, I, I'm with you. Uh, let's go back one at a time, though. So your first guy said that um, asking prices are indicative of the future, or at least short-term future of, of real estate values. They're okay? a hint at values, yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Dude, if you and, – and I really – here we go. If you are a person trying to sell a house – you are going to have a realtor into your living room at some point or another, and you're going to sit down to figure out the list price of a home. And I know in a perfect world, you're going to use a lot of logic and a lot of knowledge of the market and in recent history and the all of the fever that's in the air and all this to help come up with a number. The seller of the home already knows his number in one fashion or another, and you guys begin a tug-of-war immediately, right? I mean, isn't that how it goes? I've never done it. Isn't that how it goes? Jay, linguistically, you're amazing. I mean, you, you describe it in such a way that it paints a little bit different picture than, than I like to have painted about the process. Okay, well, tell at, me about this process. At the end of the day, you're, you're pretty accurate. But um, – the way that I describe the process is that it's the seller's responsibility to price their home. It's their home. It's their decision. Okay. It's our job to bring them such good data that the decision they make about pricing their home will this be is going to be the same one. as yours. Will, will be a good one. 
<laughs> right. Okay. So um, from six months ago, six months ago would put us in May. Six months ago, um, if you're about to list your house, man, come out swinging, dude. We just came off of all these crazy things. They were doing like banks were doing things like submit your highest and best. You and 12 other people have until the third. And then on the third, they'd come back and say, now bid against yourself. I mean, I got involved in one of those last November on a house that we were crazy about. You remember. I mean, you were there. We loved this house. And they said, submit your highest and best. And we offered like 25% over asking price or something crazy. And then they came back and said, okay, eight of you are in the running. Now tell us your highest and best. And he go, dude, I might already be higher than everyone else. In fact, we crafted our offer in a way that I was sure that I was because we wanted it so bad. And we knew that they undervalued the list price. And there was all this like psychological warfare involved in this thing. Um, and then we ultimately played a game where we said, we'll beat the next highest offer. If anybody's above us, we'll beat them in $1,000 increments up to this another crazy number that was even higher um, and lost the house, right? So we went from that to today. That kind of crap ain't going to fly today, is it? There's not enough people around anymore, are there? It does outside of San Luis Obispo County. Well, it, it does outside the county and in the county uh, in certain circumstances, we're still seeing it. Entry-level housing all around the county specifically is still pretty aggressive. And if something is priced below the market, the market responds. So yeah. you were seeing it. I mean, we're, we're dealing with one in the office right now where this basically what you've just described is going on. What are your thoughts about that kind of strategy? Uh, well, for who? For the seller or if you're a buyer in that position? It's great for a seller and it sucks when that happens to you. As yeah, a buyer. I guess I'm thinking more from a buyer's side. It seems like there's I always question, you know, when the realtor says, oh, there's three other offers coming in tonight, so you got to get yours in quick. Of and course. then half the time, oh, the other offers never came through. Yeah. So well, is there this game being played? Is there a little bit of dishonesty? Is this something that... It, it's something that we speculate about probably more than we should. I've been in this business now for know, 15 years or something that I'm embarrassed to admit, but I have never actually caught an agent in a lie about the number of offers that were on the table or coming in. And most of the time, the agents really try to qualify what's going on, whether it be that the, uh, they've been told an offer is coming in or whether they have one. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I, I think that the reality is usually you can, you can trust that information. I suspect that happens a lot, but I think it's a strategy that um, it's going to shake out over time, right? I mean, first of all, when you're dealing with a listing agent or somebody in town that has a property um, for sale and they <laughs> we compose yourselves, men. <laughs> if there's a property for sale and they play this game and somebody catches them, they develop a reputation for being someone that you can't really trust. And now, you know, they cry wolf. And on the next transaction, you you're going to they can say we have three offers that are threatened and you go whatever it doesn't even matter to me but at the end of the day when you're representing a, a buyer 
that can't really impact your buyer, can it? Okay, so I mean, the, the advice that we give the buyers in these circumstances is that you can't be – you can't be married to the outcome. And I know that's a horrible thing to say when you're trying to buy a home for your family. Well, especially but when you love it and you've already moved yourself in in your mind. The the reality is a buyer in that position has but one obligation, and that is to put their best foot forward. And if it's meant to be, it will come together. And if it doesn't, just like using you as, a, as an example, Jason, you didn't get that home bought. Now would you go back and trade your house for it? Absolutely not. But I was so sad at the time. Well, likewise, just with the pricing issue, I would tell someone don't get married to the house until you've seen all the inspections, until you've even gotten through that part, because there may be something that derails the whole transaction that really just upsets you. And you don't want to get too emotionally attached until you've overcome all the hurdles, price just being one of them. You're a pretty pragmatic person, though. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy, but... In a perfect world, that's what you would try to do. Get through all the due diligence before you yeah. imagine yourself in that home. Yeah, I I agree completely. So going back to the original question then, Wes, by the way, um, maybe they're not calling because they didn't hear the number. 543-8830. <laughs> it couldn't be because it's 65 and sunny and Saturday morning. You never know. And there's a big, huge party going on in Cayucas right now. There is. Yeah, it's a Save the Pier party. Wow, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's live music and food and beer. Are you headed there? You betcha. Nice. Um, I am thinking about this today. If you're ready to list your house today, um, I wouldn't expect, like if my neighbor came over and said, hey, I'm going to sell my house, what do you think is going to happen? I'd say, since you're my neighbor... I want to see it sell for as much as it possibly can, right? That's going to directly impact me. Um, but that being said, you have this like welcome to the market sort of face that you got to put on real quick, right? If you super overprice it, then the real estate community at large kind of rolls their eyes to you and goes, there's no sense in even looking at that. Clearly, this person's unreasonable and I don't even want to get going down that road. If you price it right at market value, you know, or as close to it as you think you can, then um, that's good. See what's probably going to happen in the normal market. Or you could price it less and hope that at least two people come and want to slug it out for you. Um, I really feel like the it's so hard to know that, you know, like... It, I don't know how much of this we could talk about. I don't have any insider knowledge to it at all. One of your agents has listed a house right around the corner from me. Right. And I, of course, all of a sudden I was like, hey, what's going on over there? How much are you going to sell that place for? I'm dying to know. Yeah. I noticed you contacted me, your wife contacted <laughs> me, and your uh, our mutual friend that's a neighbor contacted me as well. All for different reasons, though. Um, I was just really interested because I want to see it sell for a lot of money. Um, there's, I'm, it's waning now, but I spent a little while worrying that I may have bought the nicest house in the neighborhood and potentially paid a premium for it. But now I'm seeing other homes that I would quantify as nowhere near as nice as mine selling for close to what I bought for. And I'm going, okay, sweet. I'm safe now. Um, so that's why I'm interested. My wife wants to see one of her friends buy it because she wants to move her network into our neighborhood. That's cool. Um, yeah. So anyways, I, but 
I'm also really interested. I I knew they were doing some open houses, and they did some open houses during the week. And I was like, that's kind of crazy. How many people go check out an open house on a Wednesday at 2 o'clock? Um, so I was just kind of curious. And then it made it into escrow so fast. I mean, how long was that place on the market? It was like days. Yeah, I think it was five or six days. And open houses was on like a Wednesday, a Friday, and a Saturday. So... I don't know which one was most attended. I doubt you'd know either. But um, point is, it sold super fast. And I assume because it sold so fast that it sold pretty close to list price. And we're not allowed to know that. You probably don't even know what it is. Of course I do. Okay. But that being said, I can't wait to see next month when it actually closes what they bought it for. You know. So um, that being said, when I look at that, I see stuff selling in five days. What does that tell you about what you should list a house at? You know, I it, it means that there's still a lot of interest. There's still a lot of people coming. Yeah, well, let's, and, let's qualify this particular circumstance. It's an entry-level house. Yep. And there's, like I've said, there's a huge demand for that market segment still. But um, one of the things that we often tell sellers is that you cannot underprice a home. The market won't let you get away with it. And if you use a reasonable strategy like you described earlier, we're going to put the house on the market at an aggressive price. We're going to wait five, ten, seven days, and then we'll consider offers. In those kinds of circumstances, the market will not let you underprice. You will get you will get market rate offers in the mix, and it affords the seller the opportunity to hand select the the buyer that he feels is most likely to get the thing to the finish line with the with the least amount of hassle. Um, it's unfortunate when you're a buyer and it's your first home, and you may be borrowing borrowing a large percentage of the money. Uh, because it makes it challenging for you to win bids in the in that process, but it you know on the other side of the equation it it affords the seller some real benefit. Have you guys ever given any thought to um, more transparency in the offer process? And I think specifically what I'm talking about is like this phenomenon, like eBay, right? So on eBay, I see something that I like. I recognize that. There's an unknowable amount of other people that are potentially interested in this thing, too. And then there's this date where it's going to be contracted to be sold. I just wonder in real estate if is it is it even possible that the model could shift to where um, every every place generally has a website right now. Right. One, two, three, four. Any street is sure. if you're selling any street house, you get the website and that's the deal. All of our listings. You yeah. could just have a thing on there that says an offer is in. It's a qualified <coughs> borrower and it's four twenty five. It's basically a silent auction is what you're talking about. Totally. And then people could say, I'm out. I wouldn't have gone that high anyway or I'm in. I want it worse than that, and I'll go 440. Then you introduce the element of competition of known variables, and would that encourage more people to participate and, and perhaps create opportunities for sellers to make more money? Has that ever even been attempted? You know, I, I think that the – yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. it's actually it's, – it's a, it's a practice that agents can and sellers can engage in if they wish to, but the reality is most sellers – believe that if the if the highest bid amount is not disclosed 
they stand a better chance of getting an offer higher than they would if that if that number were disclosed. And I mean, just think about it. Who's going to write a 430 offer on a property when they know the highest offer is 426? They're going to write a 427 offer. They're not going to write 430. Sure. At the same time, though, you never know until a decision's made if you were the high or not. So if you offer 426 and I was willing to offer 430, but I go 427 and the seller picks me, was the first guy willing to go to 430 or 435? And if so, was I then willing to go 436, but you guys pulled the plug on a counter offer at 427? Well, and that's, that's what-, what I wonder about is if those things were known and openly discussed and available to everybody, would the element of competition help? spur on extra price there at the last minute. And I kind of feel like it might because going back that very practice, um, that very practice that we were talking about that house for me last November, then with all my emotions charging high, I may have actually come back over the top of that other guy for a variety of reasons. In fact, the the process itself protected me because I ended up with a house that I like way more. And we do hear it often enough when we're representing a seller in those situations, a buyer will come back to us that didn't win the bid process or the agent of the buyer will come back and say, you know, my buyer would have gone up another 10 grand if you'd have just given us the shot. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's not an easy, uh, it's not an easy puzzle to, to solve. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder, you know, sometimes I sometimes I just wonder, though, when whole systems are being overhauled, um, if things that we've been doing the same way forever are like if there's just a better tweak, a better way to do it. You never know. It'd be an interesting experiment. You should do this with your company and see how it goes. It's not really (laughs) the decision of the company. I mean, it's ultimately the seller's decision. Right. I understand. Hey, well, we didn't get to talk all the rest of the way about your other three quotes and all that. Um, well, maybe I should get out of here and um, let get, us get back to doing good radio. Yeah, you guys maybe can uh, inspire some of the callers. Hey, before to pick up the before phone. we let you go, though, um, I wanted to just make the point: what you're getting at in terms of this, like the sentiment and confidence of the consumer, and how all of this data kind of trickles down into how we perceive real estate or the current climate in terms of whether or not it's time to invest. Um, It's disappointing to me to see, you know, and I don't know if you cherry picked those headlines or not, but the, the reality is um, these things all feed into the fever or not. And you always got to wonder if it's some sort of Pygmalion philosophy coming to fruition here when somebody says, oh, 2014 is just going to be not as good. In fact, it's going to slow way down. Then people go, oh, I don't want to participate in that then. And now all of a sudden you got to slow down just because you told people things were slowing down. Yeah. And so in this sense, um, I agree. It's not sustainable to have double-digit appreciation every year, and nobody wants to have another bubble. I don't want to have to have a bubble, um, even as a, a property owner. The bubble is ultimately not worth it because too many people get nailed when the you know 
at the height of the bubble or the sudden bursts of the bubble. Granted, a lot of people just, it doesn't affect them as they just work straight through the middle of it. But the bubble's not fun. It's not fun for anyone. I don't think so anyway. Um, I look at all the data, all the stuff, everything that's coming out. Real estate's going up next year. I agree. Real estate's going up. Interest rates are going up too. Interest rates are going up too. You missed, you probably weren't listening to the show last week, were you? Um, I don't remember. I shared with the, uh, and you, you were I, at your office meeting this week. I shared the same story again. So I'll bring you up to speed and anybody that missed it. I bought the house last January and paid 409 for it. If I go today and buy the same house to get the exact same payment based on the change in interest rates, the house I buy has to be 365. That, so yeah, that's great. I sing that out to all of your agents to encourage their people of, hey, look, interest rates are going up. And you can him and haw about this 10% variance in the property value or whatever. Not getting out to action today and waiting could put you in the same boat. Increasing interest rates going to be a diminished affordability unless, of course, you're um, your salary goes up proportionally next year too, which I don't think any of us are expecting to happen. So if you want to buy real estate and you want to, to make this happen, what a great opportunity to do it right now while rates are still low. Right. I agree. So everybody that is considering buying a home or a second home or an investment property, if you're going to use financing, um, it's a great, it's still a great time to make it happen. That's just a fact. It's only going to get more expensive. And we chopped through all this data, trying to pin down confidence and get an idea of where things are headed. Um, bottom line is things are still on the mend across the board. And at, at some point here in the near future, rates are going up and property values are too. So if you have if you have a desire to buy and then you know in the coming years you should do it now you should get out there right Ab absolutely i mean did i miss it no give me a call let's get it done oh yes call you how 544-8662 is the office number you can call me direct 801-7061 you can go to westburk.com burke b-u-r-k burke all right Hey thanks, guys, man. thanks thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. You're doing a great thing here. Keep it up. Keep up the good work. All right, special happy birthday to Mr. Burke, your dad. Happy birthday, Dad. Get your uh, beach shoes on. We're going to Cayucas. Yeah, I figured <laughs> you guys were going to hit the beach in cowboy boots cuz that's just how you roll. Well, yeah, my dad is a true Texan. Yeah, I know. I've met him. He won't have boots on at the beach though. No? Does no. he have, he has flip-flops, huh? No, I don't know if he has flip-flops, but he has tennis shoes. <laughs> All right. Well, Wes, thanks so much for coming in today. Um, it certainly gives us an easier middle hour here to, to chew the fat with you than to try to do it on our own. So just by default, we're happy to have you, anybody in that chair. But you really dress it up. I oh, mean, it's fun. Thanks again for having me. All right, everybody, we got to go ahead and take a commercial break. When we get back, we'll have more to come on Mortgage Matters. Stick with us. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. We all have friends and family, people we know and trust. 
But when it comes to something as complicated and important as a mortgage, you need advice from a true financial expert. At Central Coast Lending, we commonly meet with people who received bad advice from someone they know and trust. Remember, no one has ever lost money from a second opinion. So before you sign, let Central Coast Lending take a look at your loan. Call us today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Welcome, welcome. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVC. It's November 16th. I do want to keep saying October. I recognize it's not October. I don't know whether I said that in the first hour to keep you on your toes or not, Dan. I may have just missed. It's November. I don't think... I mean, I'm writing it and everything. I know that Thanksgiving's coming. I know we finished Halloween, but I don't think it's totally set into me that it's November. Maybe it's because we haven't had any rain. It doesn't feel like we're getting into winter yet. We could use a little of that wet stuff. So if you guys want to call in and ask a question, this is a segment of the show where we'd like to hear from you. We can answer scenario questions or give you advice or opinions. You're welcome to call 543-8830. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call now, and uh, we'll see how we can help you, 543-8830. So we have a phone call here. We'll talk to Susan and AG. Good morning. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. 
Hi, and good morning. And by the way, at, at Walmart, they had a sign that uh, Christmas is 38 days away. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe it? No, that's, <laughs> that's far too soon. That's scary, huh? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I, I, I appreciate your show so much. I'm elderly, but I listen to your show every week because you are consumer friendly. Thank you. And, you know, yes, and you 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 address complex issues uh, to the level where everyone can understand them. And thank you for that. Well, I really appreciate that. Following that compliment, you know, there's a question, of course. Yep. All right. Um, um, I'm calling actually for my daughter, and um, I, I would like to know how she can get uh, out of a contract, which to her, to her, seems easily uh, uh, gone out of. Um, she she bought something for for sale by owner. She gave a deposit of two thousand uh, dollars, and with no escrow, assuming that that would be held pending in uh, escrow, and uh, and let that person cash that check immediately. And uh, the con- they wrote a little contract which said um, it's the contract price would depend on the 14-day uh, uh, inspection and so on. Uh-huh. And, and then... Um, and then, then that's it. And now the buyer immediately cashed that check. And even though based on inspection, the buyer, my daughter or the buyer declined to buy the property, uh, uh, the seller says, no, no, you, you, you just have to buy this. Huh. So yeah. Oh, I. so first of all, let me just tell you that this – these kinds of things are so unfortunate and it just seems to happen when somebody thinks that they can do it for sale by owner and they just have no business doing it. So first and foremost, um, your daughter is entitled to receive that money back. The, um, it may not be easy to get it back, you know, depending on how willing this seller is to, to just comply with the laws that not willing how how much time has passed since they signed this contract probably three weeks yeah so and and how quickly thereafter did she express interest in not closing the the deal and and fulfilling the contract after the uh inspection which was probably two weeks yeah so um I'm I'm definitely not the expert uh, in in the contract law aspect of things. My understanding is that there's a period of time in the state of California where the buyer is allowed to do their due diligence and their inspections and can back out of a contract for any reason. Um, okay. I also believe it to be true that this person holds that money in trust for your daughter um, on her behalf as down payment or deposit on contract, but the money may not be used, cashed and used um, until the transaction is consummated. That being said, um, I I think that probably what what's going to end up happening is um, your daughter is going to need some help 
Um, she's probably okay. going to need to contact an attorney um, to to get involved on her behalf and okay. and help. Now, from my experience, what I've seen before, it depends on the attorney, but sometimes they're going to need to write a letter or something, and it may end up costing a few hundred dollars to, you know, in fees to make it happen, but she should certainly be able to get that money back, and... um, so yeah, I that would be my suggestion is to con- just contact um, an attorney. I I don't I can't really think of one offhand, but I know that um, Wes, he's the guy that was on the show for that middle hour and has since left. But um, he he's a great resource for getting um, oh. help. In fact, I had Wes um, for a friend of ours that was in a very similar situation. I actually had him get involved. Um, and help. So he would be happy to do it. I know. Um, let me give you his phone number so that All you right. guys can reach out to him. And if he can't help you, he'll get you to somebody who can. Um, right. But call 544 8662. 544 8662. Yeah. And, and ask for Wes. Um, I, I know he's driving home right now, and I'm certain he's still uh, listening to the show. So he's going to know that we talked about um he will help get you guys on track to getting that money back um i yeah i'm sorry that you went through that it's it's something where i i it's so surprising to me that people would attempt to sell real estate themselves um and you guys unfortunately are a prime example of the kinds of things that can go wrong when you deal with a seller that doesn't know the laws doesn't know the requirements doesn't know what expectations are in handling that money. Um, you know, you kind of unfortunately open up yourself um, for a little bit of heartache here. But that being said, I do think there's a lot of avenue for recourse, you know, I mean, all the way up to and including small claims court or firing a lien against the property. Um, but generally, I think a, a strongly worded letter from an attorney would um, incent this seller to give the money back. And, and and thank you and and so that's I've learned another lesson that we well I really want to depend on people like you and I I listen to your program every week even though I'm not doing any real estate transactions right now but I appreciate your knowledge thank you so so much thank you Susan thanks for calling have a great day you too bye bye you could probably make a practice of buying homes from people in a for sale by owner manner, waiting for the deal to close and then suing them for your money back (laughs) early in the show. And I'm not saying that's a good idea. If anything, I would caution sellers that anywhere could hear this right now. It is a really, really bad idea. And I understand that oftentimes the seller that chooses to do the for sale by owner does so because they don't believe that a real estate agent adds value, is worth their fee, or is or is necessary in their transaction. If you don't think they're necessary, you're so blind to the law and the liability you pose in transferring real estate to a buyer without understanding the disclosure laws and how much you stand to lose. If you don't see the value in using a real estate agent because you think their fees are exorbitant or whatever, you don't understand what they protect you from 
but also their ability to negotiate on your behalf, their ability to keep you out of trouble, their ability to uh, market your property in a way that's going to get you the highest exposure and probably yield a better offer anyway. Um, I just, I couldn't say enough about it. It's so reckless. And as a buyer, if you like a house that's offered for sale by owner, you kind of, you can have your own representation. You can engage a realtor on your behalf to make sure that you get handled appropriately in doing so. You usually are going to end up having to compensate that person, you know, out of your own pocket as opposed to the seller who would generally pay the um, commissions on that. But it's something where I would strongly suggest buyer beware. Um, Again, I can't, I couldn't say this enough. It's so reckless to do so as a seller. There, yeah, I just, I need to move on from that because it's a crazy topic. I can't believe that people even do so. Um, the real estate agents are worth it. They just are. A good real estate agent is going to earn back their fee plus some in both protecting you, marketing you, um, negotiating for you, whether you're a buyer or a seller. It's it's just true. So um, I'm so sorry that you guys had to go through that. I, I hope more people don't. We got to do the final commercial break here of the show. When we get back, Dan, I'm pretty sure we just did a whole segment where you didn't even say a word. I'm pretty sure also. You're probably over there like surfing Twitter or something. I'm I'm tweeting and I'm just in awe of your knowledge. Um, <laughs> jobless claims, trade deficit. I thought um, we were taking a break. Yeah, this is what uh, we're going to talk about when we get back. Oh, oh, okay. See, this is how you incent people to stick around. Uh, we're going to close out strong. Don't want to talk about the U.S. exports. Um, October industrial production capacity utilization duo came out yesterday. That all sounds boring. Bang. And it sounds like we're charging right through a break we're supposed to take. <laughs> I'm going to take over here. We're, we're taking a break. This is our last break of the show. Um, sounds like Jason has some stuff he wants to talk about. I've got something. I'm going to try to talk over him and see what I can do. Um, do stick with us, though. It's going to be an entertaining conclusion to this edition of Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. 
through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Saying that all mortgage lenders are the same is like saying all restaurants are the same. We all know that fast food isn't the same quality as Five Star, and there are a lot of fast food lenders out there. But what if you could get Five Star quality at fast food prices? At Central Coast Lending, that's exactly what you get. Expert advice at the best possible price. If you're looking to buy a home or refinance, before you sign, let Central Coast Lending take a look at your loan. Call us today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending. The Mortgage Experts. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Dan's singing it over there. Dan's singing them, singing the song. Silent singing. <laughs> Silent singing. I told Dan during the break I was going to do my best to not talk during this whole segment. So I yield to you. You have the floor. <laughs> well, all those boring numbers just sounded like a terrible way to end the show. Dude. You got to know about how U.S. exports are working, <laughs> don't you? You do. You do. I don't know that everyone needs to Dan, know Dan, there's a trade deficit right now. All right. That matters. It does matter. It mortgage matters. <laughs> hey, we've got a caller that we're going to squeeze in here. Probably the last caller we can, we can get in today's episode so we'll uh we'll do that then we'll hit some of these headlines got jeff calling from los osos welcome to the show oh. jeff oh hello i i just want to um get your spin on something i've been hearing lately on the news you know national news uh-huh. and they're the pundits are blaming the um uh, recession i mean blaming the housing bubble of you know 2005 on the recession i mean they're they're saying what caused the recession was the housing bubble okay does that make any sense to you yeah i mean so much of the economy was was driven by the housing boom uh, from the you know, early 2000s to the middle, late 2000s. 
And so when that boom, when that bubble burst, it kind of, it, it sent the whole economy into a tailspin. And so do you think this is going to have any reflection or feeling about any kind of, uh, you know, exceptionalism or a war against progress or prosperity? I don't know. Dan, you're looking at me like I got the answer. <laughs> I don't know either. I'm still trying to sort out in my mind. Is the question whether the recession caused the housing bubble to pop or did the housing bubble cause the recession? I think prior to um, uh, housing caused the recession, right? Do we all agree on that? Yeah. Okay. Um, prior to this uh Thing beginning this whole like 2007 housing meltdown where we had like the collapse of everything that we know um six or seven out of ten jobs were based on housing or directly dependent on the success of housing um that's quite a claim right let me make my case real quick title escrow appraiser plumber trencher grader paver contractor um landscaper appraiser realtor loan officer i mean home furnishings it just goes landscape. on and on and on and on and yes and so much yes and then all the way back to it if you buy a new house because it's where it's at you're gonna go out and you're gonna buy window coverings and you're gonna buy carpet and you're gonna buy this you're gonna buy that um in fact if you just cook down to the most basic thing what are the three things that you just have to have to make it through the night tonight? A house, food, and a water? car? <laughs> well, I put water in with food. I mean, food and shelter, right? So there's two of them. And a car. And, and, and it just so happens that um, it's so important. You don't need a car. I do. You can, <laughs> I do. <laughs> you can make it through the night without a car. Unless sure. it's your shelter. You're right. But my point is, is that when you go, th you come off such this like feverish housing economy where everything does get so intertwined all the way down to selling, you know, bath rugs and things like this. It's so dependent on housing. Um, you as to make profit, you've you directed and focused your business into serving um, homeowners in one fashion or another. That just so. Yeah, that happened. And today, um, we don't have all of that back. There's so so many um, fewer jobs as a result of the the reduction in volume and in all of that of housing. Well, so a light bulb just went on. That's the demographic everyone's chasing who's got something to sell. Everyone, whenever you talk to someone about advertising, what does the advertising exec always ask you? Who's your demographic? Oh, well, it's the 30 to 65-year-old homeowner with X number of, you know, X amount of income. Homeowner's always a factor in there because that's a person that's got stability and got income and... Stop, um, disposable income. Disposable income, thank you. There Look you at you listening He's over there. He's been listening. <laughs> I, hang out, I hang out with salespeople every day. So we've been conditioned as a society, when we've got something to sell, we chase the homeowners. So we're all, everything's kind of 
in some way or another dependent on housing. Housing. It just is. So if the economy's upset, it's going to bother housing. And if housing's upset, it's going to bother the economy, period. I mean, the only other thing you could say is if suddenly all the food in the nation disappeared tomorrow um, or had some major interruption, would that affect the economy? You betcha. So it's one of these metrics where you just can't, you can't get away from it. You cannot separate housing from the economy, period, ever. Um, that's just a fact. In fact, we now know after this last recession that our economy depends on housing and jobs. So that's really been the whole deal. You now have to have a house to pay for your job. And as luck would have it, so many of the a job to pay for your house. There you so go. many of the jobs then depend on um, housing and its strength. So um, that I think is really the the bigger picture. And I grew up the son of a contractor, so I know I I always tie it back to this. But when we're building homes and construction dudes, you know, are coming home with dirty boots, that's when you could suggest that this whole thing's fully recovered and. That's been slow to come, but it's happening now uh, way more than it was happening in years past. So we're we're grateful and thankful for that. I don't know about the second part of the question, whether it was going to hamper some kind of prosperity or something or another. No, we always need shelter. And as long as we need shelter, somebody's going to have to build it and then furnish it and then finance it and then sell it and then maintain it and everything about it. Housing will always be the biggest driver of the U.S. economy, um, period. It drives consumer spending, in my opinion. So, I mean, that that's why I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Why not work in, you know, in the industry that finances the most basic necessity that that are taxes or digging graves, right? I mean, I tell I'll, you what, I probably wouldn't work if I had to save up to buy a house just to pay for my job. Right? Yeah, that sounds <laughs> that like a bad suck, plan. dude. That would be the worst <laughs> thing you could do. I just, Wes said I was linguistically amazing or something, and then here you are digging I think me. there was a little bit of sarcasm in that. Just call 543-LOAN. <laughs> That's our number to the office. We'll help you with all your loan needs. 543-LOAN or find us on the web. We're centralcoastlending.com. We'll be back next week with more Mortgage Matters. We hope you will be, too. Thanks for being with us.